Thank you, praise team. Thank you for being here today. What a great day it is. Amen? Amen. Glad you're at Kavanaugh Church, your church for life. And uh, we are in the presence of the Lord. He's speaking to us, and uh, now he's going to talk to us through his word. I want you to open your Bible to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. This is towards the end of the New Testament. Uh, last week we preached from Micah chapter 4, which is the last book of the Old Testament. Uh, we read a prophecy about Jesus Christ coming to planet Earth. Uh, kind of been looking at obscure Christmas passages that really don't deal with the baby in the manger, but deal with why Jesus came to planet Earth. And we're going to look at that today at the end of the New Testament, 1 John chapter 3. It's near the end of your Bible. Go to Revelation and then just back a couple of pages and you'll find 1 John chapter 3. We turn to the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, to learn the what's of the historical birth of Jesus Christ. It's called the incarnation, why Jesus became man and came to planet earth. And we look to books like 1 John to learn the why of God's great purposes in sending his son into this world. In fact, in John's day, there were several people who denied that Jesus actually was there in human form, that God's Son appeared on planet Earth. Uh, So there were many doubters, and there are doubters even today. But John explains why Jesus became man and came to planet Earth. And so we're going to read that today in 1 John chapter 3, beginning in verse number 4. Are you there? Six of you. First service, there were seven. Now there's six in, in this. So come on, everybody there? First John chapter 3, look at verse number 4. It says, everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. So here's the deal. The word sin means to miss the mark. And this tells us that all of us have sinned. We've all missed the mark. And by so doing, we are living lawless lives. Verse 5, but you know that he, speaking of Jesus, appeared. And I want you to underline that word, appeared. We're going to come back and talk about that word. In fact, it's found two times in this passage. But you know that Jesus appeared so that he might take away our sins. That's it right there. I could drop the mic and walk off the stage. That's why God sent His Son, His only begotten Son, into the world. Jesus came to deal with the biggest problem you have, and that's sin. You see, you can't fix your sin problem. Now, we all try to fix our problems. Miss Angie kind of talked about that. We think we can fix problems. And you're pretty good at fixing certain problems. You can do it. I mean, you have a problem at work, you, you work it out. There's a problem in your family, you sit down and you work through that problem. You've got a financial issue, you work through the problem. You've become expert at solving your problems, but here's one problem you can't solve. It's your sin problem. And God said, that's why I'm sending my son into the world. He has come so that he can take away our sin. And then it goes on to say, in him there is no sin. No one who lives in him, Jesus, keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. You're thinking right now, dude, this is Christmas time. You're supposed to be preaching on the baby in the manger. 
That's heavy stuff, preacher. It, it is heavy stuff. But you know what? He's saying the proof's in the pudding. If you really are a child of God, you're going to live a certain lifestyle. And if there is continuous sin in your life, you're not a part of the family of God. He says in verse 7, Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as God is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. Listen to this. The reason the Son of God appeared. There's our word again. Back in verse 5 it says, He appeared to take away your sins. Now in verse 8 he says, The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. You thought you were going to come here today and hear a story about a little baby in a manger. Let me tell you, it's bigger than that. The little baby came for a reason. Try to understand what I'm saying. The little baby came with a bat. (laughs) Because he had a job to do. That little baby came to deal with the greatest problem we have, which is a sin problem, and also to destroy the works of the devil. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us to see that this morning. I pray that right now, right now your Holy Spirit would fill this room and that right now our hearts would be attentive to the Word of God and what you want to say to us. Help us to hear and then, dear Lord, help us to respond. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Bill O'Reilly in his book, Killing the Rising Sun, tells the story of PFC Desmond Doss, a soldier in World War II. Desmond Doss eventually received the Congressional Medal of Honor. He was a dedicated Christian young man, but he objected the war. He he was a conscientious objector. He, He refused to pick up a rifle and to shoot someone, but because he believed in the war, he joined the army. But here's a big problem. The army didn't know what to do with this guy. He wouldn't pick up a rifle. He wouldn't shoot. He wouldn't kill. So what good was he? Well, let me tell you, his fellow soldiers didn't like him. They picked on him constantly, beat him up. His commanding officer wanted to get rid of him. Finally, the army decided, we'll make him a medic. (laughs) And that's what he became. He he made a vow to God and to himself that he was going to try to save as many soldiers as he possibly could. In 1945, his company was sent on an urgent mission to Okinawa. There they had to climb a steep cliff known as Hacksaw Ridge. Thus the movie that came out a couple of years ago about Doss's life. Doss and his comrades were able to climb this steep cliff, but as soon as they did, they came under heavy fire, and there were many casualties. A lot of his soldiers were shot. A lot of them even died, and it was his job to save them, and so he started saving them the best he could. He he would drag them to the edge of that cliff, tie a rope around them, and then lower them down the cliff to medics who were down below. In a 12-hour period, he saved 75 soldiers' lives. One of them included his commanding officer that wanted to get rid of him. And later on in an interview, he told the interviewer, I was praying the whole time. 
I just kept praying to the Lord and saying, Lord, please help me get one more. And he would save one more life. And he would pray, one more, Lord. And he would go back and save one more. And then he would pray, one more, Lord. <laughs> and for 12 hours, he kept praying, one more. Well, the good news of the gospel shows us how Jesus Christ came from the Father on the most urgent rescue mission ever launched in the history of mankind. And what did God have in mind when he sent his only begotten son into planet earth on this mission? What did he intend to accomplish in the grand scheme of the incarnation, God becoming man in the person of Jesus Christ? Well, John tells us in 1 John chapter 3, verse 5, he says, But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. That's why Jesus came, to take away your sins. And then he reaffirms that in verse 8 by saying, the reason, I mean, there, there it is right there, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. So if we take verse 5 and verse 8 and we put them together, we see this. The reason Jesus Christ came into the world is to deal with our sin problem. That's it. That's the reason Jesus Christ came, to deal with our sin problem and also to enable us not to sin. Okay, you get that? He came to forgive you of your sins, but also to empower you so that you don't have to keep on sinning. Yes, I know that Jesus Christ came to give us life and life abundantly, and I'm thankful for that, aren't you? Man, I enjoy that abundant life. I know that Jesus Christ came to introduce us to the Heavenly Father so that we could have a personal relationship with Him, and I'm thankful for that. He came, yes, I know, to give us everlasting life and a home in heaven, and I'm thankful for my mansion that's up there. Amen. But none of those things would be possible had Jesus not come to deal with our sin problem. In fact... Jesus said this with his very own mouth. I have come to seek and to save those who are lost. And to do that, he had to deal with our sin. We kind of get a hint of that when the angel of the Lord talked to Jesus' earthly father, Joseph. And this is what the angel of the Lord said to him in Matthew 1.21. He said, Mary, the woman you're engaged to, is going to give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. So the purpose for which Christ came into the world is to save us from our sins and to enable us to stop sinning. He came to take away all the sins that we commit. He came to take away worry and jealousy and envy and lust and hatred and bitterness and greed and selfishness and every other ugly sin that we could commit. And he accomplished that by becoming a man and coming to planet earth as a baby to die on Calvary's cross for you. And he did that, first of all, according to verse number 5, to remove your sin. All right? 
He came to remove your sin. Again, verse 5, he appeared so that he might take away our sin. There's that word appeared. Remember it occurs two times. The word appeared means to manifest something. It means to put the light on something. So if we blacked this sanctuary out and had a spotlight on my Bible down here, you would see the book. You would see the Bible. Suddenly out of the darkness, the Bible would appear. That's what it says about Jesus. Jesus appeared. Now, if he appeared on planet Earth, that means that he existed before he came to planet Earth. And so he did. Jesus has been from the beginning. There is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. In fact, the same man who wrote 1 John also wrote the Gospel of John. And he tells us in John chapter 1 that the Word, which is Jesus, was with God. And he was God. And the Word, Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. And so Christ appeared so that he could take away our sins. He came to lift our sins off of us. He came to carry away our sins. He died to remove our sins and to give us salvation. Can anyone say amen? <laughs> I like the way the writer of Hebrews put it in Hebrews 9.28. So Christ was sacrificed how many times? Once. Jesus died on the cross just once. Now, that is explained by what had been happening up until that point. Up until then, through the Old Testament sacrificial system, every single day, animals had to be sacrificed to cover over the sins of the people. So they would sacrifice these animals, and the blood would flow from these animals. It did not permanently remove the sins of the people, it simply covered them over. But you know what? People keep on sinning, don't they? And so they had to keep on killing these animals. It happened on a daily basis. What Hebrews tells us is that Jesus Christ was sacrificed just one time. His blood only had to be shed one time because his blood doesn't simply cover our sins. His blood removes our sins. So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people. So when we put our trust in Christ, he removes the guilt of our sin. But he also came to break the grip that sin has over our lives. This is known as sanctification. He set us apart. He is making us holy. He breaks the grip of sin in our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit living in us. It enables us, that power enables us through the Holy Spirit not to sin. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24 says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live unto righteousness. Now, here's the deal. As long as we are in these human bodies, we're going to struggle with sin. I feel like I'm losing you. Are you with me? Okay. As long as we're in the human body that we're in, as long as we're living on planet Earth, you know what? We struggle with sin. So the last installment of our salvation will come when we receive that new resurrected body 
that no longer struggles with sin. You know what that's called? Glorification. Okay? I can't wait till that day when my body is going to be glorified. The Father Himself envisioned all of this when He sent His only begotten Son, Jesus, to planet Earth. Jesus came to Earth, He lived a sinless life, and then He died a sacrificial death on the cross to remove our sins. That's why He came. In fact, when John the Baptist saw Jesus, here is what John the Baptist said, Look! The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Amen. Amen. That's why Jesus came. Jesus came to remove your sin. But number two, verse 8 tells us, Jesus came to destroy the devil's work. Verse 8, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. There's that word appeared again. God became a man to defeat the devil, to destroy the devil's works. Now, we know who the devil is, don't we? The devil originally was an angel in heaven. Uh, he, was, he, was, he was probably the, the, one of the highest ranking angels there were. I kind of believe, this is my own philosophy, that he was in charge of the worship of God. He, he was a great angel, okay? Highly respected angel. But then one day, pride was found in his heart. And he, he coveted the throne of God. He wanted to sit on that throne. He wanted to become God. And so he led a revolt in heaven. The Bible says one third of the angels followed him. And in that revolt, God sent judgment on the devil and one third of the angels. God kicked them out of heaven. They came down to planet earth. God established a lake of fire, which is hell, that the devil will spend eternity in. The devil's not a good man. He's not a good guy. In fact, Jesus described the devil this way. Jesus said he is a thief. The devil is a thief. And he has come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. That's the devil's will for your life. We talk about God's will for your life. The devil has a will for your life. The devil wants to steal your soul. The devil wants to kill you with the sins that you commit. And then he wants to destroy you in a lake of fire. Man, you need to stay away from the devil. He does this by enticing you to sin. And ultimately, that sin entraps you. Because that's what sin is. Sin itself is addictive. You sin, you're in a trap. You get stuck in that trap. That's exactly where the devil wants you. He's been playing this game a long time. In fact, it all started in Genesis chapter 3 at the beginning of human history. When the devil appeared in the Garden of Eden to Adam and Eve by a talking serpent. Now, guys, that's got to tip you off. A talking serpent? And it was the devil taking the form of a serpent. He talked to Adam and Eve. He enticed them to sin. They sinned. And they faced death because of their sin. And you know what? You can go back and track it. Every sin that has been committed since Genesis chapter 3 has its origin 
in that first sin, that first enticement that the devil made to Adam and Eve. And the result of that is that when we sin, we fall under the grip of sin. And from the grip of sin, there comes destruction. Because he's the thief. And he has come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. In fact, Hebrews puts it like this. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 says, Christ shared in their humanity. That means Jesus himself understands what it means to be human. He became human. He became flesh. He was tempted in every way in which you are tempted so he can identify with the problems we face in life. So he shared in their humanity so that by his death he might, what's that next word? Destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. So the writer of Hebrews and also John uses this word destroy to talk about what Jesus did to the devil. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. The word destroy means to undo something. And friends, that is exactly what Jesus Christ did on the cross through his resurrection. Jesus undid the dreadful works of the devil. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we no longer have to be held under the grip of sin No longer do we have to fear death. Because Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Now, just like our victory over sin is not going to be completely realized until we receive our new resurrection bodies, so our victory over the devil will not be fully realized until Jesus Christ comes back one last time and destroys Satan by sending him to the lake of fire. And let me tell you, he will do that. So Jesus Christ, by his death on the cross, took away our sins. And Jesus Christ, by his resurrection, undid the dreadful work of the devil. That's why Jesus came, right there. That's the reason he came. To remove our sins, praise the Lord, and to destroy the works of the devil. Amen. So, how does that knowledge, how does that, the understanding of why Jesus came, help us in our battle with sin? How does knowing these things enable us not to sin? Well, that's what we're going to spend the rest of our time with. I have three ways. You're thinking, dude, you're killing me, man. I thought this was about over. I'll say them fast, three ways. You know, the quicker you listen, the faster we're done. (laughs) Three ways the knowledge of this enables us not to sin. The first way is this. It reminds me of the work that Jesus is doing in my life right now. Okay? Look at verses 5 and 6. And in him, that is in Jesus, there is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. So right now, Christ by his spirit is working in those of us who believe in him so that we won't keep on sinning. Okay, did you get that? If you're a believer, right now Jesus is working in your heart. He's working in your life 
enabling you, giving you the power through the Holy Spirit so that you don't have to sin, so that you don't have to keep worrying and have jealousy and envy and lust and hatred and bitterness and greed and selfishness and every other sin rampant in your life. So as Christ, the sinless one, is living in a person, he, through the Holy Spirit, is working to defeat sin in that person's life. Jesus is doing that for each one of us right now. Therefore, if a person is living in continual sin, and that's the key word, continual sin, then that is an indication that, number one, either that person doesn't really belong to Jesus, or number two, that person is backslidden. You might say, well, what is backslidden? It means that you receive Jesus as your Savior, but you're not living for him right now. You, you've fallen back under the enticement of sin, and you are continually living in sin. In fact, John says here that no one who lives or abides in Jesus keeps on sinning. Because the two don't go together. So Christ comes to abide in us when we trust in him. Then it becomes our responsibility to abide in Jesus Christ. And that means that we live consciously by his grace and by his love and his power in us. And as we live in that vital union with him, God gives us the strength not to sin. It's when we step out of that continuous abiding with Jesus that we fall under the temptation of the devil and we give in to sin. So let me put it like this. You don't have to sin. If you are a believer in Jesus, you do not have to sin. Yes, I know Christians can and will sin, but when temptation comes into your life, it's a decision that you make. God gives us every possibility of overcoming that temptation. Why? Because he goes on and says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. So God is more powerful than the devil. And where is God abiding if you're a believer? In your life. Greater is he who is in me than he who is trying to get me to sin. So I don't have to sin. Now we're all tempted. Have you been tempted yet today? It's 11.25. Have you been tempted yet? Raise your hand if you've been tempted by the devil this morning. Raise your hand. I only have a few people in here telling me the truth. The rest of you, the rest of you have already succumbed to temptation. You just sinned by saying, no, you hadn't been tempted yet. Right? Are you with me? We are all tempted to sin, but you know what? God gives us a way of escape. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. With every temptation, God will make the way of escape. It may only be one way, and usually it is just one way, but God gives you that way. You don't have to sin. If you sin, it's your decision, it's your choice, because greater is he who lives in me than he who lives in the world. So, understanding this knowledge of why Jesus has come into the world reminds me of the work Jesus is doing in me. Number two, it reminds us of who we are in Jesus Christ, our identity in Jesus. Look at verses 7 and 8. He says, Dear children, 
Do not let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right is righteous, just as Christ is righteous. He who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning since the beginning. So our righteous living flows out of the fact that we are children of a righteous God. The only way you can live a righteous life is by having His righteousness imputed into you. And that happens when we believe in Jesus. So His righteousness is in us. So that just leads us to believe that if someone is leaving an unrighteous life, it is evidence that they are not a child of God, but they are a child of the unrighteous one, the devil. Do you realize what this passage is saying? This passage is saying, you, you, you prove, the proof is in the pudding. You are proving by your lifestyle who you're following. Honestly, you don't need a preacher condemning you or glorifying you and saying, you're of the devil, you're of Jesus, you're of the devil. You're, you're doing that through your own life. If you're living a righteous life, you're proving that you belong to the righteous one. If you are living an ungodly life in sinning, you are proving that you belong to the devil. So it is incompatible with the new nature of Jesus Christ to keep on sinning. In fact, the Bible says that anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. So having said that, I know what question you're asking. So why then do we still occasionally sin? Why, if we're not supposed to sin, do we occasionally sin? Why do we fall for the temptation? Why do we eat the golden carrot? <laughs> why do we sin? Well, it's all because we still have the residue of the old sinful nature that is connected to the physical bodies that we're living in that goes back to the fall of man in Genesis chapter 3. And this, is, this will not be remedied. This will not be undone until we are glorified at the second coming of Jesus Christ. Then in our new resurrection bodies, God, God is going to purpose that we no longer sin. We will stop sinning and salvation will finally be complete in our life. In the meantime, the Bible says we work out our own salvation in fear and trembling as we battle against the devil with the strength of Jesus Christ. And that's just the way, it, it's a struggle, man. It's a struggle. Sometimes it seems like our battle against sin is almost like raking leaves on a windy day. You with me? Are y'all still out there? I guess I'll tell you this story. When I was a little kid, I was I was a, I was scrawny. I was a I was a I was a wimp <laughs> when I was a little kid. Scrawny little kid, uh, bag of bones basically. On my first grade report card, it shows your weight and your height. First grade, mom has that report card. It says I weigh twenty nine pounds. 20, oh, I, I'm staying corrected. She knows. How much was it? I weighed 27 and a half pounds in the first grade. 
sickly little weakling. I was a bag of bones. Here's the worst part of it. When I was a little boy, again, I was just, I was just a little, I was a wimp. We'd go, we'd go to the, like, Sears and buy Levi's or jeans, and I'd have to get Slims. You'd buy me Slims. Four Slim, five Slim, six Slim, seven Slim, eight Slim. And I always wanted, I wanted those Husky pants. My buddies wore huskies. And I wanted, I wanted to be husky. I said, Mama, buy me some huskies. And she laughed at me and she said, You can't wear huskies. You're too skinny. Now, let me just do a little time out in this story. I'm getting to a point. Isn't that just like all of us, though, even as adults? If you're a slim, you want to be a husky. I'm sure there were husky boys who wanted to be slim. I mean, that's just the way it is, all right? So, you know, I wore, I wore slims. Jason, the, the, I guess the good part of this is that I was, I was lean. I was just lean all my life. Didn't, didn't have to worry about gaining weight because I, I was just my, it's my metabolism. I was just lean. And so as I grew up and got into high school, I started lifting weights, had a little bench press out in my garage. And I mean, when all you are is bone and skin and little tiny muscle, any, any working out is going to start popping those little muscles out. And so, man, I've seen these little muscles pop out. And, and, and when I was a kid, I had, I, you could see my abs. You know what they call that? You know what I carried around with me? Come on. You know what I carried around with me? A six-pack. And I could go, and those, man, those abs would just pop out. I, I stand in the mirror. Little tiny muscles, a little six-pack right there. And I worked really hard on my six-pack. I do sit-ups every night, man. And all through high school, I had a six-pack. Through college, I had a six-pack. Sounds pretty bad, preacher carrying a six-pack. But I went to seminary. I kept my six-pack. And then, then I became a pastor. And um, what happened to me when I was about 30 is that I became a full gospel preacher. And I still had my six-pack. It just went underground. Right? <laughs> it went hiding. And so I hadn't seen my six-pack in years. I mean, it's been, a, it's been a long time. It's been a long, long time. So a few years ago, I kind of go through this medical problem, and my doctor told me I needed to start working out. So I've got a, I told you this, I've got a gym in my garage, and every day I work out. For at least one hour every day, five, six days a week, I, I am very disciplined working out. I always go work out every day. And and you know, I'm, you know yeah, I'm just addicted to it, I guess. If I do something, I want to do it right. And I, I really work hard. And man, I'm, you know, I still weigh the same as when I started. But the fat's turned into muscle. Or at least that's what I'm telling myself, all right? <laughs> and I've seen a little bit of results. But I was, just not long ago, I was, you know, I was lifting weights. And I could see a few muscles. But I couldn't, I couldn't see those abs. And I thought to myself, I wonder if before I die, I'll ever see those abs again. And I got to studying on that and thinking about it. Now, you think I'm vain right now. I'm, I'm really not vain. You think about the same stuff, right? 
And so I, I, I called a buddy of mine who is a, is a fitness guru. He knows how to do all this stuff. And I said, hey, dude, I want to have lunch with you. i got a few questions to ask you. And so we sat down, and I was talking to him about working out and my regiment. And I said, dude, you know, I know this sounds vain, but I'd kind of like to see my abs one more time before I die. Is that possible? <laughs> he just kind of laughed at me. He said, okay, Will, this is what it's going to take. And for a solid hour, he talked about what it would take for that to happen. You got to do this, you got to do that, you got to do this, you got to do that. And he says, but Will, really what it comes down to is the kitchen. What, 80% of it is what you eat and what you don't eat. And he kept using this word that I don't like. And it starts with a D. Y'all know what it is? Anybody know what it is? No. He did talk about diet. Discipline. He said you got to become disciplined. It can't be... It can't be just a diet. It's got to be a lifestyle. Your whole thinking has to change. Your whole living has to change. And he kept using that word discipline, discipline, discipline. And all of a sudden, my six-pack turned into a totally different thing in my head. Because I got to thinking, dude, what you're talking about is the Christian life. Talking to you men out there, guys. Have you ever had a desire to be a godly man? Like David, to have a heart like God's heart? Have you ever desired that? Have you ever had a desire to, to be, really, a living illustration of your children and your family of how to live a godly life? Have you ever desired that? You know what? You can do that. But it takes discipline. It takes a lifestyle change. It means that you say no to the things of the devil and yes to the things of God. What about you ladies? Have you ever had a desire to be a godly woman? To be a Proverbs 31 lady? It is possible. But let me tell you, it's going to take a lot of work on your part. It's going to take discipline. It's going to take a lifestyle it's going to take saying yes to God and no to the world. Here's the thing about it. The more disciplined we are, the more committed we are, the easier it becomes to say no to the devil and yes to the things of God. But what happens about those few occasions when we struggle against sin and we stumble and fall. What happens when we eat that cheesecake? <laughs> what happens then? Well, it's number three. All of this knowledge reminds us that forgiveness is available when we do sin. I'm going to take you back to chapter one. We're almost done, but let's look at this. Chapter one. We're going to start actually in, in verse number 8 of chapter 1. Here's what it says. If we claim to be without sin, all we're doing is deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. Because we've all sinned. Okay? 
All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Then I love verse 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So you know what? If you do stumble and you do fall, all you have to do is confess it to Jesus. And Jesus himself is faithful and just. He will forgive you of your sins. Everything you've done. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar. And his word is not in us. And then we skip over to chapter 2. Go down to chapter 2 verse 1. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin... We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Amen? Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? So here's the deal for me personally. I was saved when I was six years old. What horrific sin could a kid have done between zero and six? Well, let me, I had done enough to send me to hell because I'd never believed in Jesus. But at six years old, I confessed Jesus as my Savior. I started preaching when I was 10. My whole life has been revolving around consuming this book. It's what I do. It's what I am. I'm a believer. I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm an instructor in righteousness. You would think after all of these years, I would have figured it out and I wouldn't stumble and fall and mess up. Wouldn't you? (laughs) But I'm still battling sin. I honestly, in arrogance, thought at one time I would just, you know, have perfected grace and and I would be living beyond temptation. Well, that ain't come yet. And I don't think it's going to come. As long as we're living in this sinful world, we're going to be tempted. And you know what? As, As much as I hate to admit it, there are times that I stumble and I fall and I sin. But praise God, I've got an advocate an advocate from the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And when I do mess up, all I have to do is ask Him to forgive me. And praise God, He does. But you know what? Let me give you a little warning here before we end this thing. You need to be careful at this point. Don't turn that grace of forgiveness into a license to just keep on sinning. Knowing all of this, we could come to the faulty conclusion, you know what? I am going to stumble. I am going to fall. So why even try? I'm just going to do it, and if I I sin, I sin, that's okay. At the end of the day, I'll just ask God to forgive me, and He will. Can I tell you, that's bad thinking. Because if you're thinking that, and feeling that, and acting on that, you yourself are in trouble. Because those who have Jesus living inside of them have no desire to sin. And that brings us back to this, the reason Jesus came. Why did Jesus come? To deal with your sin problem. And to enable you not to sin. So how do we end this? Well, let's suppose you go to the doctor and uh, he's got bad news. He says, dude, you're just eating up with cancer. Cancer's all over your body. I can give you some stuff that'll help you endure the pain, but you're, you're gone, dude. You're, de- you're going to die within a few weeks. Nothing I can do about it. And so with a saddened heart, you go home and you start making arrangements. You tell your family, you check on your will, you make everything, sure everything's good. Because you know you're going to die. 
Isn't this morbid? But then a week later, the doctor calls you. And he says, dude, you're not going to believe this, but I have just received this, this antidote to your cancer. It's a single pill, and all you're going to have to do is swallow this pill, and it will take the cancer away. You'll be free from it. Now, you're thinking, is this possible? Second thing you're thinking is, can I afford it? And so you say, dude, how much does that pill cost? And he says, for you, it's free. All you got to do is take it. Cancer gone. So the question is, what would you do? Tell me, what would you do? Would you take it? Well, can I tell you something? All of us in this room are dealing with something far more disastrous than cancer. Sin. That sin is going to destroy you. It's going to kill you. And you will sin, die in your sins, and you will spend eternity in that lake of fire that was prepared for the devil. But God's got an antidote. Salvation, the blood of Jesus. It can remove your sin. And it's free. And he offers it to you today. Will you take it? Heavenly Father,